Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Says about sex. Last week, Pastor Cameron was here. He talked about homosexuality, which is a big topic in our day. Um, and we're going to take more of a general look at God's Word and what it says about sexuality. But, uh, you know, the world is talking about it a lot. <laughs> you know, and uh, personally, I grew up in church for the most part, um, especially at the ages when. Sex becomes a topic, and the church didn't tell me a lot about it. Um, and the few things that it did tell me were not complete, not a whole picture, not the good parts. It was just like, hey, you better not be doing X, Y, Z. <laughs> and if you are, you better find a way to stop doing X, Y, Z, which isn't the whole story. Um, so we're excited to talk about the whole story today. We've got a couple of art projects I've stashed away some goodies down here. I was wondering where you hid your yeah. supplies. We're going to go back and forth. Is there any introductory things you wanted to say, Marilee? I don't think so right now. I'm excited about art projects. We've got two great sermon illustrations for you. That's why the easel's here. Luke got excited when he saw me bring in a level. I got the little one still with me. The big one's back in the trunk. Sorry. I know that's not, not really something to be proud of, but it'll work. <laughs> Um, did I say who we are? Say who we are. How about we are? I, I don't know if you did. We're Bill and Marilyn Menser. We know most of you, but if you don't know us, we are on the uh, leadership team at New Day. We love being a part of this church, and one of the things we get to do is preach from time to time. And um, we lead the healing and restoration ministry, so we have a bend toward um, you know God healing hearts, wounded areas where we've had you know, uh, hurtful things happen to us, and there's wounds there still, and God can heal that. So we, we're always thinking about that, too. So guess what? God can heal you, your wounded heart, in the area of sexuality. If you've been sinned against, um, you know, a lot of horrific things happen to people, and God can heal you. He can totally restore those, those wounds and those pains. So, Yes, yeah. those inflicted by others or self-inflicted. Yes. All right. Thank you. Sermon illustration so let's say we own an old farmhouse there's probably a few of those around here within a rock's throw of the church and this is the wall of our old farmhouse and this is the floor and it's probably not probably not as level as it used to be right at one point I'm sure whoever built it the first time that floor was level but that is what it can sometimes look like. And let's say we're doing a tile project. We're going to tile the wall of our bathroom. We're going DIY. Some of you are professionals, but I'm, I'm going to do it yourself for a weekend. Warrior, go do some tile kind of guy, right? So I'm going to do a DIY project. I'm going to tile my bathroom. And when you guys come to visit my guest bathroom, you're going to sit on that toilet and you're going to go, ooh, that is some good-looking tile. So I buy tile, I buy adhesive, and I get right in, and I'm like, ready to go, and I line up my first tile, put on the adhesive, and I start making a row of tiles. And I line them up perfectly with the floor, because that is probably a great idea, right? No. <laughs> no, it's not a great idea. Because if you start with a crooked foundation, and then you build your way up that wall, and then you step back, and unfortunately you weren't smart enough to step back sooner, like I've done this sort of thing. Not this exact thing, but... 
I've done DIY mistakes in my day. You step back and you look at it and you go, oh my goodness, what have I done? <laughs> that tile looks horrible. Somebody's going to come to my house, sit on the toilet, and fall right off because the tile is so crooked. They'll be like, whoa, right? No good, no good at all. What's the tie-in, Marilee? What's the tie-in there? Well, I, I'm guessing you guys can guess the point we're making here that the world, our culture, has um, crooked views that um, in our sinful nature, you know, regarding sex. And so if we make decisions in our life, these tiles represent actions and decisions that we make based off of the skewed um, views. We're going to end up with a not very great tile. Ooh, sad things. If you go with the world's crooked view of sexuality. So instead, all right, this, this thing will go like this. So I got, that's why the little level. And I know it's not perfect to set it on the little pins up there, but it gets it about right. Okay, so instead of lining up with the world's crooked view when it comes to sexuality and starting to build our lives around that, here's what we want to do instead. All right? <clears throat> and this sermon illustration comes with sound effects, which I think is great. I've got this chalk line. I'm going to line it up with my pre-marked plum lines here. Little hash mark at the top and bottom. Okay. All right. You can see what's coming, right? I'm sure. It's no secret. All right. Go for it, Marilyn. Bam! Did you guys hear that? Wasn't that great? That is plum. I think that's the right term. Correct me if I'm wrong, builders. Right? Plum is a straight vertical line. So this is important in our old farmhouse. If we want friends to come and sit on our toilet and not fall over, this is where we want to start. Right? All right. Give me a snap, Marilee. All right, now I'll get out of your way so you can see it. And we'll make sure that's... I hope the walls in your house don't move like this easel. That would be a really... Old farm. <laughs> that would not be good. Okay, so when it comes to sexuality, we need to snap a plum and a level line in our minds and our hearts. We need to line up with God's Word and then put our first tiles in place, right? This is the perfect spot to start the tile job. You may still have a crooked floor in the house, but now you've got an objective, 100% sure plum and level starting point. Forgive my tile. I'm sure the manufactured tiles I bought would be a little straighter than that, but you get what I'm saying. Start there, you can build out, and you can make that perfect tile project happen, right? Yeah, and you're right, Bill, because we still do have that crooked wall and floor, right? We still are in a world that that is sinful that might say, you know, you can just, it's your right, it's good for you to just be sexually satisfied whenever you want. Or um, sex before marriage is not a bad thing, that's normal, that's good. Um, maybe entertaining adulterous thoughts is not a big deal, that's fine. You know, these are all the things that are just normal. And, um, you know, it would seek to kind of smudge these lines or confuse us. And so, yeah, our heart this morning is to just take a, a good look at lots of scriptures um, so that we can have clear lines to build our um, decisions off of and our lives off of. I just have a sneaking suspicion it'll work better for me to be on this side. 
Because I think you want to point at that more often than I do. Okay. All right, so we're going to look at God's Word. Do you get the illustration? We want to line up with what God says. So let's look. We're uh, uh, Ruben's going to... Um, there's the title slide, but there's a bunch of Scripture references here. If you want to go home and study, we're going to hit on some of these. We probably won't read the whole section, and we probably won't read all of... Actually, I know we won't read all of these, um, but these are... Verses about sexuality. You know what? The Bible actually has a lot to say about the subject. And we're not the only culture through time and throughout the world where there's been a lot of screwed up stuff going on in the sexual arena. Okay? There, uh, we'll see the Corinthians who lived in a city where the sex god was worshipped, where people would go to the temple to have sex with a prostitute. Whoa, that's just as crazy as some of the things we see in our day. And we'll see in the Old Testament where the Israelites were coming into the promised land and the nations around them were doing all sorts of crazy things as well. So it's not a new situation that we find ourselves in. All right, but let's start at the beginning. Does anybody know the first book of the Bible? Genesis. We're going to start right there. In Genesis 2, 21 through 25, it says this, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. End of Adam's quote. Then the Bible tells us, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So let's just look at that verse 24. They become one flesh. What God is telling us right from the get-go is a couple of things. One, we realize if we read Genesis, right, God designed sex. He started the whole thing. Therefore, sex is not inherently bad. Uh, it's bad when it's done outside of the parameters of God's design. When it gets outside of how he designed it to operate, it's no good. Just throw in a little word picture for you. Uh, sex is powerful. It's a powerful thing, and we'll talk about why. A chainsaw is powerful. And when you're using it to cut up wood, you can cut up a lot of wood with a chainsaw. It's a tool. It's a great tool. Fun tool. I wanted to bring one and start it up, but I just... <laughs> but anyway, chainsaw's great. But when it's used outside of its intended purpose, it could do a lot of damage. Like, what if I brought the chainsaw into this small guest bathroom to do my tile project? I'm trying to cut tiles with it. Or let's say I brought it here and I started it up. Instead of using it to cut wood, I said, hey, who needs their toenails clipped? I've got a tool for the job. I bet I would get zero volunteers. And you hopefully wouldn't let me do that on myself either. No nail cutting with the chainsaw. And sex is like that. It's a powerful tool used for its intended purpose. It can do something great. When it's used for something other than its intended purpose, it can do a lot of damage. So what is the intended purpose? Two shall become one flesh. So God designed sex to be a bonding experience. He designed two people to bond in a special way that doesn't happen in any other relationship we see in this world. And he planned this to be between a husband and a wife. And he planned it to be over a lifetime. He planned for it to produce children so this is the foundation of a family. God wanted two people to become one again and again and again throughout their relationship, throughout their lives, and he would build a family on that. That's cool. That's actually great. Because I think it's a lot better to have children and raise ch children, which can be a big challenge. 
with somebody you're intensely bonded with as opposed to somebody you just met or somebody who's going to come and go, right? And we see the opposite in our world. Divorce, you know, is just wreaking havoc on children as they grow up. Maybe you uh, grew up that way. I've experienced that. Um, So not great when it's done wrong, but awesome when it's done God's way to become one flesh. So if we flip ahead to the Corinthians that we talked about before, Paul's telling them, hey, don't go to the temple and uh, get together with prostitutes. And he, he explains why. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. Paul is teaching us that two still become one even when they're not married. Two still become one if you're going to the temple to have sex with a prostitute. Two become one if you're just looking at porn. There is a bonding that happens at the point of sexual climax, which is designed into it, which is great when it's done God's way. Unfortunately, you've got a chainsaw on your toenails <laughs> if you're doing it outside of that context because it still has the power. The power is not gone. So art project number two, I really like this one. It's we little, have a little easier to pull off yeah. on the spot, wouldn't you say? We have a girl and a boy, and they're one. They're having sex, these papers. And they're meant to stay one, right? <laughs> they're glued together. Elmer's glue. But... Uh-oh. Go ahead. She just said, it's not you, it's me. This is what happened. He just moved away for a job or to go to school. They had sex, they weren't married, and now they're trying to split up. It's a little messy. It's a lot messy. Check it out. There are pieces of him stuck to her. There are pieces of her stuck to him. And she's torn to shreds. So is he in places that are maybe a little harder to see from back in the back. But the point is, when two come together and become one flesh and they rip apart, they're not a whole person anymore. Something has been damaged. Something has gone wrong. And pieces of your heart um, are stuck to that person. That's a major bummer. (laughs) You know, sex is a three-part act because we're three-part people. We're body, soul, and spirit, right? Body's easy to understand. You can see it. There it is. Right? The sex act is bodily. That's easy to understand. It's also soul. The soul part of your being is your mind, your intellect, your will, your emotions. That's involved in sex as well, even if people try to deny it. And then spiritually, you're a spirit being. You have an eternal spirit inside you that if you're a follower of Jesus will live on forever in his presence. That'll be amazing. We look forward to that. There's a spiritual part inside of you which when you're born again comes alive and interacts with the Holy Spirit. And everywhere you go, that Holy Spirit is inside you. Um, we are members of Christ himself. Would we unite that with a prostitute? No, Paul said. So body, soul, and spirit come together and then they rip apart. That doesn't work good. That doesn't work good at all. Obviously there's good news. God is a miracle worker. We, we sang about it this morning and it's true. And he's a redeemer and he can put you back together. But there are consequences of sexual sin and that's what they are. Because two become one flesh, and that's awesome in the right context. It, it does awesome damage in the wrong context. All right. All right. So um, <clears throat> we're going to look at, well, first, why don't everybody get out a piece of paper and put it on your lap? 
And if you don't have a piece of paper, maybe grab a connection card. Because while we're talking might be the best time for a question to pop into your head that you can hand in at the end of service. I heard last week Cameron threatened that if we didn't have questions or something that he was going to like call people up or something. <laughs> Started like, we're not doing that. We won't do that. It's funny um, to think about though. But we really, you know, ask a question that you think maybe your spouse has. <laughs> ask a question for your kids. Ask a question for your friend that you know they have that you can go back and help them with. But um, probably something will come to mind as we're talking. All right, so God's approach on how to handle living in a world that's like this. How are we supposed to interact? Well, his approach, his perspective is to not join, to not, um, he tells the Israelites, do not make a treaty, do not intermarry with the culture around you. The Israelites were getting ready to cross the Jordan River into the Promised Land. God was going to drive out the nations before them, but they were to go in and finish the job and finish driving them out. And he says in Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 4, I'll just read a part of it. Um, God gives the Israelites commandments through Moses. When you cross the Jordan River into the land I'm giving you, I will drive out the nations before you. You must finish the job. Totally destroy them. Do not make no treaty with them. Show no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. And um, so, and the reason he didn't want them to do that is because they would um, intermarrying and joining with those cultural views and practices would turn their hearts and, and confuse them and smudge up all these lines and they'd start building their lives on the crooked. And so he did not want them to do that. <clears throat> so that's, um, I believe, his encouragement for us today as well. Don't intermarry. Don't join in with the views. Keep your, you know, keep reminding yourself, stay true to his um, level and plumb lines to build our lives on. Um, but what, um, I was kind of curious, well, what were they doing? What were these nations doing that, you know, they're not supposed to intermarry with and join with? You know, I was kind of curious about that. Well, in Leviticus 18, it tells us, which I always think that kind of thing is interesting when you have a question from one verse and then it's, answered in a whole another chapter in the Bible. Um, so Leviticus 18, um, I'm going to paraphrase a portion of it, but at the end of this whole passage, at the end it says, don't pollute yourself in any of these ways. This is how the nations became polluted, the ones that I'm going to drive out of the land before you. So these are specifically the things that he's saying don't intermarry with, okay? It starts with a long list of pretty much don't have sex with any close relative. Okay, this is this is our truth to build our lives on. It goes in, don't have sex with your mother, don't have sex with your sister, don't have sex with your grandchild, don't have sex with your aunt, with your daughter-in-law, and lists all these family members. Well, why is that in there? Because, unfortunately, a lot of times, kids' first sexual experience is with a family member. And that's horrible, but unfortunately that's true in a lot of cases. And you know what? That is very confusing for a child if they aren't taught the truth that God puts right in here for us. If they aren't taught that, they can be very confused and then end up, you know, maybe growing up and then 
not understanding what sex really is and just have tons of sexual partners when they're really young and you know and so this truth is so good to teach our children and if you weren't taught it or if you know um, someone that you know wasn't you can help them and say hey this is God's way this is the truth you know we're not meant to um, God's way is to have not to have sex with any close relatives and, and teach them what the truth is. Um, <clears throat> don't have sex with um, your neighbor's wife. Um, don't have sex with a man as one does with a woman. Um, and Cameron talked about homosexuality last week, right? Yeah, and um, don't have sex with an animal. And so these are all just cut and dry, putting it right out there, and this is what the people were doing, and this is not God's plan. And so um, I think that's all I was going to say about that. Yeah, so good to remember not to intermarry on a beliefs level the world's ideas about sexuality. All right, so moving on to another thing. Let's look at a chapter you may not think about when you think about sex. Maybe you do, I don't know. But in first or in uh, yeah, first Corinthians thirteen is the love chapter, right? Yeah. And so I just wanted to look back at what the Bible says about love and apply it to sexuality because I think that it's gonna be great and you'll see why in just a moment. So in uh, first Corinthians thirteen four it says, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. And it goes on. But um, <clears throat> All right, so if we're going to model our marriages and our sex life after God's, then we're going to love God's way. That means when it comes to our approach toward sex, we will be patient. So that means if we are not yet married, maybe you're a young person, or um, you're not currently married and you're an older person, um, patience is what is called for in that situation because you're not in the context God has designed for sex, so you've got to hang on and wait. You know what? When you're married, there are still times you have to be patient. <laughs> you're not always able to uh, have sex when you want to. There are times uh, when one's not feeling well, when you're away on a trip for work or a uh, retreat for church or whatever. Um, and those are times to be patient and wait until somebody comes back and you're in God's context. You know what else? Love is kind. So um, <clears throat> kindness says to me that um, one would never force themselves on another, right? If so-and-so, if spouse A, male or female, doesn't want to, spouse B isn't going to force the issue. Vice versa, if spouse A uh, wants to, spouse B probably wouldn't withhold in an unkind way, withholding would be unkind. Um, so there's a give and a take there, right? I kind of I spoke out of both sides of my mouth, but you, you get the idea. It's about, the point is love. It's not whether, whether it actually happens tonight or not. It's about each person coming forward with kindness. And you can see sex used as a weapon. It's joked about in sitcoms on TV, right? Like, well, you're not going to get any because you didn't do the dish, or whatever, you know? The jokes abound. But it's a real thing, and to withhold would be unkind. To demand it would be unkind. So kindness should abound when we approach sexuality. Does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, it's not dishonoring. So sex should be very honorable. It should be very honoring to your, your spouse. Um, I love this one. It's not self-seeking, right? So sex should be a giving act to 
between a husband and a wife. And um, you can see sexuality come off the rails in a myriad of ways when it's self-seeking, right? The, uh, you know, the like stereotypical movie frat boy, right? Just conquesting off at college, right? Like that's so self-seeking. He's just trying to put notches in the, in the whatever, you know what I mean? Rack up a pile of ladies that he's bedded. That's so self-seeking and so wrong, right? But also in the context of us living as Christians, like we want to come to our spouse in a giving way, not in a self-seeking way. Um, this jumps into our next verse, um, which is um, Matthew 5, where Jesus said, You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you anyone who look, looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So pornography is self-seeking. Pornography is wrong, and Jesus just said it real clearly right there. Um, there's a lot of forms of that in our world today. Super destructive. It's crazy how destructive it is. Um, pornography includes um, visual images of people who aren't dressed modestly, right? Um, but it also includes the, the popular novels that depict what I'll call emotional porn, you know, that would catch a person up in a fantasy world of, oh, I wish I had that, or I want to enter into that idea of so-and-so sweeping so-and-so off their feet and going off to the Caribbean island or whatever is in the novels. I don't read them, obviously. But uh, <laughs> emotional porn, regular porn, you know, the magazines, the, the digital images that are so available in our day, Jesus hit it on the head, addressed it directly, and you know what, like we said, that would be totally self-seeking. That's not how you want to... You don't want to go... Young people, you don't want to build up a track record of indulging in pornography and then go try to have a giving, loving, sexual relationship with a spouse. You've got to take down a lot of crooked tiles if you've been caught in pornography and then you go to get married. And married guys, we want it straight, right? We want to line up with God's Word. And you know what? The most fulfilling sex life is not found on that screen. It just isn't. I'll tell you from personal experience, you know, I've screwed it up in the past, and now I'm not. And you know what? It is so much better to live God's way. And there's forgiveness if you're caught in that now. You can get free. You can live free. You can be permanently free of it. And so I'd encourage you to do that. Maybe spending a little more time there than, than we planned. But it's such a big deal, you guys. 70%, last time when we talked about pornography for the whole message, 70% of men between 18 and 34 Look at porn in a given month. Seven zero seventy, more than or not, it's a huge issue. I read actually, I think it was off, somebody posted on Facebook or something. There's a really great website called FightTheNewDrug.org, I think. Google Fight the New Drug, um, and you'll find it. But um, they have a ton of cool articles about like porn is a problem, and here's why. And one of the articles was a study. Was it a study? the article. Anyways, in Australia. But um, <clears throat> teenage girls are living in a world that has been totally changed by pornography. It is normal for these girls in daily life to get the text messages or the messenger messages of boys asking them to show them stuff that should not be shown until they're married. Right? Like, hey, send me a picture of you. That is ridiculous. That is so screwed up. 
right? And like these girls, they're obviously not Christian girls. They're just out, you know, going to their high school, sometimes middle school. It's so sad. But the one girl said like, oh man, I can't even get my boyfriend to watch a movie with me until we have sex. We just got to get it out of the way first. And that is so sad, isn't it? But a pornography culture has created these teenage boys who are just coming into adulthood who expect stuff. And these girls just think it's normal. Just expect that they have to give that out. And, oh my gosh, all the crooked belief systems that come out of that is so sad. So anyways, people, (laughs) there's a better way to live. And we can live that way, and we can show that way to others. It is in contrast to our culture, and it's a really good thing. And we're not coming at, um, you know, 21st century America saying, hey, stop doing this stuff because God's got a set of rules. We're saying, you know what? There is destruction out there doing it the world's way, and God has a better way. You can be really happy. I am. I'm living it, and it's great. Right? That's the message. It's not beating them over the head with the Bible, but it, it's opening it up and going, this is amazing. This is a good way to live. Right. Sorry, man, we took a little longer. That's good. <laughs> so, because there is so much sexual immorality in our culture, what's God's plan? Well, he tells us in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 9, again, I'll just read one little snippet. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Fulfill your marriage vows. It's your duty. And this whole passage is talking about unless you have the gift of celibacy where you can be single and, you know, serve God and, and that's great, then, then do that. Stay single. Um, but otherwise, it's like, go ahead, get married. Every woman, her own husband, every man, his own wife. And then once you're married, fulfill your marriage vows. And so have sex. <laughs> When you're married, you should have regular sex. Amen. Um, we got a, last week of first service, we got somebody in the crowd who said that. <laughs> right at the perfect moment, you know? It's like, he said, amen. Crack me up. So I thought I'd do that for you guys. <laughs> bring the joke right along. Sorry. Okay, so. Um, I love how the NIV says that verse. Can I throw it in there? That I wish that all of you were as I am, Paul saying. He was single. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another that. To the unmarried and widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So, isn't that great? Paul's like, hey, this is real. Sex drive is a real thing. And if you don't have the gift that he had of staying single and being living holy, then get married. Bond with your spouse regularly. Yes, so a lot of times if there's any discord or or tough stuff going on in a marriage, sex is the first thing that goes. You you stop having sex. And that an enemy loves that because that is the amazing thing that bonds you, brings you together. So I encourage you, if you're married and you're not having regular, healthy, good, godly sex. Deal with the issues that are keeping you disconnected. What if you're having, you know, fights or whatever, whatever the issue is, solve that. Get to the bottom of it. Find resolution. Forgive one another. Grow so that you can do this verse. 
be married and, and fulfill your marriage vows. It's, it's God's way. It's the best way to possibly do it. So I'm sure all the things we're talking about, most all of us in the room can say, okay, I've sinned, I've screwed up in the area of sexual immorality. And you know what? Great news. Because as with any sin, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9. In Romans 8, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Live in accordance with the Spirit, not according to the sinful nature. So there is forgiveness for us when we repent, and we can have our crooked tile wall wiped clean, and we can build anew, and that's just a beautiful, wonderful thing. Um, and, and he can do that. And we'll uh, pray at the end for anyone who wants to pray that and repent if they have anything that they want to repent of and start building new. But um, that being said, God forgives us. It's great. We also don't want to use that as a reason to indulge the sinful nature. Like, well, I'm just going to sin tonight because tomorrow morning I'll repent. Does anyone fall into that <laughs> lie of the enemy? I have before. Um, but sin is a big deal. Like, don't believe that lie. It's a big deal. Every time there's consequence, there's a cost. And um, so it's just not worth it. Like, if David had had it to do all over again, I just know he would not have um, sinned with Bathsheba. The, the con Like, God healed them. He forgave them. He's still a man after God's own heart. You know, their offspring did become the next king. He's such a God of restoration. But there was, um, as a result, as the consequence of that sin, there was sexual sin and murder in David's immediate family and continuing in his family line as a result of that. So much. I mean, you read that story. There's so much sexual sin within, you know, the siblings and his son with David's concubines and wives just so much and murder it's just like wow it's just not worth it it really isn't so um so shall we go on sinning because of grace by no means count yourself dead to sin but alive to god you used to be a slave to sin now be a slave to righteousness and god wants us to be a son and a daughter he doesn't want us to be a slave to sin he wants children um that he can be in close relationship with. And so um, I think the lie that David you know, believed is I can have what I want when I want it, right? With Bathsheba, like, I can just, you know, and that is one of the lies of our culture. So we want to combat that. That brings me to my next point. A lot of sexual immorality happens in our minds, right? It's not necessarily always actions and things we're doing and, and having done and all that. Um, and Colossians 3 talks about that. talks about the sexual immorality of the mind. It says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your minds. It also says, set your hearts on things above. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. And so that's all talking about the mind, right? 
And um, that reminds me of the verse two, to take every thought captive. And so, you know, we have, um, we have a, a sinful nature that's contributing to these thoughts, and we have an enemy who lies to us that um, contributes to these thoughts. And um, it's important to know, too, that to just have a thought isn't sin, you know, because thoughts can just pop into your head. It's sin when you lean into it and you kind of linger on it and grab hold of it and and um, kind of believe it and go with it. You know what I mean? It's not a sin just to have a thought, but if you take that thought captive, once you realize, wait, this this thought, this thing, that's not true to, to God's truth. And so you just can say, nope, I recognize that as a lie in Jesus' name, you know, I bind that lie, and, and God, I'm going to follow you, and your truth is, and you can speak out the truth. You can battle with that. And um, <clears throat> with a lot of um, experiences we've had with helping people um, with healing and restoration, I find that the enemy often speaks in first person, and so he'll say something like, oh, I wonder what it would be like to make out with so-and-so, like when you're married to somebody else, or whatever, you know, whatever it might be, but says it as though it's you, and then you're like, oh, I'm, I'm thinking this thought. It's me. And um, if it doesn't line up with who you are and your identity and what you believe, no, it's not you. <laughs> that's not you. So you can recognize that and say, nope, that's not me you know, um, spirit of deception, spirit of adultery. I see what you're trying to do, and I resist you in Jesus' name. Okay, so you can do that. You can kind of take those thoughts. If, if it's any form of sexual immorality, take it captive and just bind it, you know, flee from it, proclaim truth, um, and, and we, can, we can win. So um, the other thing... I want to say, too, is that Satan loves it when we sin. He loves it. And this makes me so mad <laughs> because his, one of his favorite things to do is to heap shame on people. And he just loves that because then he can get you down. When you're full of shame, you shrink back. You don't become the leader and the man of God and the woman of God that he's called you to and your potential is. You, um, he wants to disqualify you. He wants to put a nice, big, fat, disqualified stamp over you and over your life. As soon as you sin, heaps that shame, and, we, and, and um, someone can believe that and start to shrink back. And so that bugs me, right, because I love to see people living their their full um, potential in Christ and who God created them to be. Um, so I just want to touch on the difference between shame and conviction, though. So when we do something wrong, conviction is good. That's God's way of letting us know, hey, something's not right here. But conviction feels totally different than shame. Okay, Shame feels um, like darkness and you feel like a cloud of hopelessness. Hopelessness is tied with it. Um, kind of despair, and you kind of want to shrink back. Whereas conviction, you're aware of the sin, 
but you're also you feel this compulsion to be drawn towards God and there's a there's hope with it like wow like you you feel sorry for your sin but you want to come towards God okay there's no um condemnation with it it's just it's a drawing it's he's giving you an awareness of the sin and drawing you and inviting you into righteousness so that's the difference between conviction and shame if it's shame it's from the enemy if it's conviction it's from god got it awesome you see that uh in the bible it says god's kindness draws us to repentance so conviction is a kindness that's leading us to turn away and turn toward him and come toward him, and shame makes people want to hide. Do you remember after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and they're like, "Whoa, we're naked!" And all of a sudden, they feel shame. They, you know, they go and hide from God. So if you find yourself hiding from God, or man, I don't know if I can be on worship team this week, or I don't know if I can, you know, go see all those people, and you're shrinking back from this community of believers or from your prayer life, or from God in any way, address the shame, fight against the enemy, because that's not good. Anything that God is speaking to you would be about, go toward your, your you know, faith community, your family here, go toward God, get it right, and get whole. So it's a good distinction. Yeah. So one more quick thing, and then we'll pray. I just want to encourage you guys, um, if you are trying to grow in overcoming any sexual immorality in your life, here's some good um, tips and helpful verses. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. So when I read that, I was like, wow we're being encouraged to grow in the area of self-control. So if you're sinning sexually, then my encouragement to you would be grow in the area of self-control, and that's going to help you in this area as well. Um, real practically, um, fasting is a great way to grow in the area of self-control because you're controlling not, you know, either withholding food for a meal or a day or something. So grow in that. And then he also says in Second Timothy Flee the evil desires of youth. Instead, he's given us something productive to do, not just don't do, don't do. He's saying instead, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So focus on how can I pursue righteousness? How can I pursue faith? How can I pursue peace? And I love that productive, giving you something to go after when you're working on overcoming in an area. Yeah, that verse said flee, and it's also in 1 Corinthians 6 again. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? But flee, you know, it actually means run away. <laughs> so if there is a, a sexually immoral temptation coming at you, literally run away you know what I mean if it's a magazine subscription that comes to your house cancel it <laughs> run away from that you know and I'm not talking about just a pornographic magazine there could be other magazines that could be a problem just go to the grocery aisle and you'll see what I mean uh, admire or whatever over that way but um 
you know, there, you might have to make certain decisions about which movies you watch on Netflix or whatever to flee. You may need to make decisions about which people you hang around to flee. You know, um, is, my, is my group of friends, do they like to joke in a way that actually stirs up the beginnings of sexual immorality in me? You know what I mean? If I'm going out after work with the guys, you know, before I go home to my house, and they're talking in a way that gets me thinking in a way, maybe I need to make a decision about not going out with those guys before I go home. Maybe I need to just get home. You know, or at school, if you're in school, what crew of friends, what what belief system do they have, and and is it rubbing off on you in ways that you need to flee from? So just be. Yeah, that's thoughts. good tips. All right, so um, we're going to close, but hopefully we've just kind of given you a lot of verses and a lot of perspective from the Bible to to line up your life against that God's truth. It's the best way. Who wants to have the best life possible? Raise your hand. All right. Well, the best possible life you can have is one living according to God's commandments in his way.